Father podcast. This is Pastor Elijah. And this week we'll be continuing our study through the book of Revelation in chapter 20. This chapter could easily be three to four messages. So it may be a little more teachy, but hopefully you're encouraged through the process. Before we jump into chapter 20, chapter 19 sets up a timeline of when this takes place in the sequence of end times events. We saw rejoicing in heaven, a great celebration at the marriage supper of the Lamb that included a great multitude of believers in heaven. And finally, we saw the return of Christ and the end to Satan's reign. Pastor Casey did an amazing job covering chapter 19 in last week's podcast, so I won't get more into it, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't yet. So now we're in chapter 20. Jesus is back on earth. He's establishing his earthly reign. It's the time for the earth to finally experience what it's like to be under the rulership of its creator. But first things first, the sentencing of Satan. In Revelation 19, the beast and the false prophet have been thrown into the lake of fire. Now let's take a look at what happens to Satan. Revelation 20, 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, he who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. The first thing we see is all it took was one angel. Now this dude, the cause of all these problems, all this pain, all this evil and rebellion is not all that powerful when compared to the almighty God. It did not take an army of angels. It wasn't like a scene from the Marvel movie Endgame where it takes all the Avengers to fight off Thanos. It took one angel. This is important because this angel is on our side. And if you're feeling defeated by the devil, remember his defeat and his defeater is on our side. Verse 2 refers to him as the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. Now, this is a reminder that this is the guy, the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve, caused Adam to disobey God, the original fire starter. He's the devil who plagued mankind throughout history, the dragon of revelation, Satan, or in Hebrew, uh, Sutan, which means adversary. This verse reinforces that the enemy of God and mankind throughout history is no longer a problem, but a prisoner. His reign of terror is over for now. For the sake of time, I'm going to summarize verse 2 and 3, which says Satan is bound for a thousand years in the pit or the abuso, which is also referenced in other places in the Bible. Like Revelation 9, it talks about this bottomless pit that housed a host of demonic entities that were released to plague the earth during the Great Tribulation period. This is also the same place spoke about in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus freed the demon-possessed man from the legion of demons. This legion of demons repeatedly begged Jesus not to cast them into the bottomless pit or the abuso. And it goes on to tell us Jesus cast them into a herd of pigs and they ran off a cliff and committed suicide. And if you don't find that funny, just remember Pastor Brad Armandy, he writes all my jokes. And uh, obviously I'm joking. But anyways, it seems that this pit is a holding place for the worst of the worst. But also we can assume it's a holding place for the fallen angels who will serve a future purpose like those released in Revelation chapter 9. And in verse 3 of chapter 20, it says Satan will be locked away for a thousand years and he'll be released for a future purpose, which will be revealed later in this chapter. So Satan, the great adversary, the deceiver, is out of the way and we're giving the image of the thousand year reign of Christ. But before we jump into this, 
This is a literal 1,000 years. In verse, verses 2 through 6, six times in five verses, it says 1,000 years. Now, let me ask you this. If you were John, how could you have made it any clearer than saying it's a thousand years, six times in five verses. It's pretty straightforward. And I say this because there are three different views that deal with this event. And the first view is the premillennial view. And this is our view here at Harvest. It's the view that Jesus returns before or pre the millennial reign. And holds that the thousand years are literal as stated before. And it's the most straightforward reading of the Bible. And if the divinely inspired word of God has displayed a particular viewpoint so clear, there's no reason for man to fog it up with his own dim interpretation. So the second view is post-millennial. Unlike pre-millennial, post means after the millennial period Christ returns. Now this view doesn't believe in a literal thousand years. They believe it's a time period where Christians will usher in the return of Christ through Christianizing the world and the culture. It is an optimistic view that claims that Christians must set up God's kingdom for the return of Christ. Basically, the world is headed towards a Christian golden age where Christ will come back to that golden age. The obvious problem is that the Bible clearly shows Christ coming back to restore order in a world of chaos and not Christians restoring order to a world so Christ comes back to it. Also, if you look at the world, it seems to be coming increasingly more evil. So I don't think this viewpoint passes the eye test of what we see in the world or scripture. Now, the third is the all millennial view. It basically means no millennial reign in a physical sense, at least. And they believe that Christ's reign is happening now. It started when he defeated Satan on the cross. And in order to hold this view, you must take a ton of scripture figuratively. They still believe in the second coming. And they believe that the world is getting worse, but I don't understand how Christ is ruling with a rod of iron when we see all this rebellion and stuff going on today. Now, for the record, this is a secondary issue. We don't need to divide from friends and family over this, um, but also for the record, it's the most, what we believe is the most straightforward reading of the Bible, and I just think we're right. Uh, but anyways, take that how you take it. So now that we've established that the millennial reign of Christ is a literal 1,000-year period that takes place after the return of Christ, let's look at who's reigning with him. Um, read with me Revelation 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now this covers every believer that went to heaven before the second coming of Christ. And the first group is most likely the Old Testament saints and definitely the church. So verse 4 says, on the throne was those who had been given authority to judge. Now, when it comes to the Old Testament, Daniel 7.27 says, And the kingdom and dominion, or the rulership, and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And at the time this was written, there wasn't a church yet. But there were Old Testament saints. And when you think about it, there are more scriptures in the Old Testament explaining the nature um, of the thousand-year reign than there are in the New Testament. And I think we can make a valid argument, but not a definitive argument, that the Old Testament saints will be ruling and reigning with us. Now, the church will definitely be there. There are plenty of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 6.3 says, 
you will judge angels. Revelation 2, Jesus promised authority over the nations to the overcomers in Thyatira. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, we died with him. We will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Revelation 5.10, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth with you. I think it's pretty clear that the church will rule and reign with Christ. So the first group includes all the saints before the tribulation. The second group are not the church, but the martyrs during the tribulation period. In Revelation 4, the second half says, Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So who will rule and reign with Christ? Everyone who took part in the first resurrection mentioned in verse 5. All the saints in heaven who believed on the promised Messiah. This includes the Old Testament saints who look forward to the cross, the church who look back at the cross, and the tribulation saints who died for the sake of the cross. So if you are a believer today, you will rule and reign with Christ. So the next question is, who will we be ruling over? Now there isn't a scripture that spells this out but this is a logical conclusion that we can come to from just collectively studying all the scripture. I think we can conclude from the second coming of Christ that those believers who survived the tribulation period will walk right into the thousand-year reign of Christ. Uh, they never bowed to the beast. They weren't martyred. They lived on in their old bodies, but they'll be in a new millennium, and they will eventually die, but they'll die gracefully. Isaiah 65.10 says, Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought as a mere child. Now, so the initial people will be believers. They will repopulate the earth and ultimately live out a long life and die gracefully, as it says here. The person who dies at a, at, at a hundred will be thought of as a mere child. And when you think about this reign, there'll be no devil. They'll be ruled by Christ and his saints. There are many unfulfilled promises to Israel that will be fulfilled during this time. Now, I can't get into every one of these, but I encourage you to study the happenings of the millennial reign on your own. But know this, there will be a time of great peace and replenishing of the earth. Now, the next two sections we're going to fly through for the sake of time. The first section, Revelation 20, 7 through 10, overviews the end of the millennial reign. Now, we're in a time of peace where God is ruling and reigning, but unlike the rest of us who were given a choice to choose to worship God, the people at the end of the millennial reign never had a choice, so what happens? Verse 7 through 10 tells us that after a thousand years, Satan is released from his prisons, will go on a campaign throughout the earth and deceive many. He will gather them for battle. And this army of nations is so huge, it's compared to the number of sands on the sea. Its force is comparable to the armies of Gog and Magog during Armageddon. And this is a lot of people. It says they will surround the beloved city of God only to be consumed by fire. And the funny thing about this, or the sad thing about this, is Satan wasn't gathering these nations for battle but destruction. He knew his end. He wanted to bring as many people as he could with him. And this was his last deception. You know, he is then cast into the lake of fire, joining his boys, the false prophet, the beast, for their stay at hotel, eternal torment. And here's the deal. Satan has always been the deceiver, but it's the unrighteous heart of man that makes itself susceptible to his deception. 
Two times in paradise, mankind rebelled against its creator. In a garden of Eden, surrounded by all this uh, beauty and, and, and walking with God, and then here, a thousand years after a peaceful time of Christ's reign, man still chose to rebel. And James 1.14 puts it this way, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. See, Satan will pay for his deception. He will have his day, but sadly, so will those he deceived. They will also have their way. Now, the last section, Revelation 20, 11 through 15, um, is about the great white throne judgment. So the great white throne judgment. Hebrews 9, 27 says it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. Unlike the Bema seat judgment for believers who are rewarded for their faithfulness, the great white throne judgment is the unbelievers judgment for their faithlessness. Now, during this time, there will be no debate. There will be no, I have a bone to pick with God. I was a good person. Um, their judgment will be based off of what they did with Christ. See, if Christ is not standing in your place of judgment, then you will stand there being judged up against perfection. And if you have any spot or blemish on you, you have failed. Now, the books here are open, and those who will be judged will be shown exactly why they are judged. And ultimately, the fate of every person at this judgment is a lake of fire. Because without Christ, we're just simply not good enough. Now, I'm going to do a quick recap. In chapter 20, Christ has come back. Satan is bound for a thousand years. We, his saints, will be ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years. After that, Satan comes back and deceives many. And those who choose Satan will ultimately follow him into the lake of fire. Now, there's a few takeaways that I want to leave you with. And the first is Satan is a deceiver. See, mankind has been fooled by him throughout history. The dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, and Satan, our adversary, is on the prowl. First Peter 5a says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is a deceiver. We need to be watchful. We need to be watchful to not be deceived. So that's the first one. Satan is a deceiver. And the second takeaway, which is better than Satan being a deceiver, is Satan is not as powerful as we think. Remember, it only took one angel to restrain him. Our problem is not Satan's power. Our issue is we have not depended on God's power. This chapter not only shows the weakness of Satan, but the power of God, that we are victorious. So never allow yourself as a believer to believe that you cannot overcome your sin or Satan's grasp. Because the same power that defeated Satan on the cross, the same power that locked Satan in chains, the same power that cast Satan into the lake of fire is accessible to every believer today. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Satan is not as powerful as we think. And thirdly, the third takeaway is God will allow us to choose our own way. See, God is not only a just judge, but he's also gracious and loving. And every person who has ever lived can choose God. He has not forced anyone into hell, but he also has not forced anyone into heaven. He even allowed those under his reign for a thousand years to choose him. Satan was nothing more than an instrument to reveal the hearts of those who don't want God. God gives us a choice. He lets us decide, then he honors our decision. I heard it once said that you're born looking like your father, and you die looking like your decisions. You were born looking like your father, and you die looking like your decisions. Every mentally 
capable person created in the image of God will choose the way they go into eternity. For us as believers, we will feast with God in heaven and reign with him on earth and ultimately be with him for eternity in the new heaven and new earth, which we'll read about in the next few chapters. For the unbeliever, you will die. You will be held captive in hell. You will stand before God, you, the God that you've rejected, be held accountable for every sin and ultimately be cast into the lake of fire, confirmed in your decision to not want to spend eternity with God. But I pray that you choose to reign with us and escape the reign of judgment that will one day wash the unbeliever down the gutter of life into the lake of fire. Now, if you want to study these things deeper, I want to encourage you to join a Harvest small group. Now, you can join our men's, women's, couples, or co-ed groups at harvest.church forward slash groups. And once again, you're listening to our Harvest Men of Valor podcast. This is Pastor Elijah. Have a great week and God bless.